morning, Outpost Community Church. How are you guys doing? Oh my goodness, man. I miss the youth days because when I say how are you doing, everybody starts screaming and throwing stuff at me. But uh, you guys don't have to do the throwing part. Well, it's good to see you guys. Glad you're here. If you have a Bible uh, or if you've got a Bible app, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. That's where we're going to be this morning. And I'm really excited for that. Now, I gotta, I'm really excited about something else that I want to tell you all about. Um, today, October 3rd, is my 11th anniversary with the beautiful Bonnie in the back. Hey, hey. It's awesome. So I'm spending it with you guys, which is great. Yeah, I know. Um, I know we've been married 11 years. I know you guys think I'm 11, um, but I'm not. And so uh, Proverbs 18.22 says this, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. And I tell you, that's my good thing back there, and I'm so thankful to the Lord. Man. Hey, before we get going, let me pray for us. We're going to be diving into spiritual gifts today. Everybody ready to get weird, crazy, and like just like get slayed in the spirit? Hey, that was excited. Let's go. It's going to be so fun. Let me pray because uh, if God wants to slay anybody in the spirit, that's his business, not mine, okay? So let me pray before I launch into my spiritual gift of teaching to you guys, all right? Well, Father, we are so thankful to come together. Um, the church is a family of people who are called to be together like muscles connecting to tendons, tendons connecting bones. We are called to be one together as a family and to be strong, to be built up in love, to work, to glorify you. And I just pray, as we've seen so many people this morning use their gifting, so many people are deploying them in the hallway, uh, in, in the nursery area, all together we are being one people and we do this all week long. We pray that God, you would just be glorified that you be praised. And I pray that through your spirit, if you do decide to slay us, I pray that you would convict our hearts of the ways that many of us are disjointed or dismembered and not a part of this beautiful thing that you've given us, the church. Forgive me, Lord, for so many ways that I have been arrogant in my giftings, thinking that I've achieved something when I've only received something. And may we all just come here saying, God, use us. Use us, use us, use us. And may you be glorified in Jesus' name, amen. All right, 1 Corinthians 12. You know, uh, I tried to find this video, and when you can't find a video on YouTube, it just leads into an hour of distraction clicking on other videos. So I didn't find it, so I'm not gonna play it, but I remember I saw this video a long time ago. It was talking about, it was interviewing this athlete in a locker room, and they're talking about why they lost, and he's, he's just blaming the whole team. The whole reason why they lost they're like, uh, is because of everybody else. And he goes, uh, so the interviewer says, hey, um, you know, there's no I in team. He's like, yeah, there's no I in team, but there's a me. And uh, here's the thing. If you were to ask people, uh, what is the thing that is destroying the church? What is challenging the church the most? I think a lot of people would probably say, well, maybe it's atheism. Atheism is the biggest problem that we're facing in the church. Or... Maybe you would say social media, it's killing the church, social media. Maybe it's legalistic churches or hypocritical Christians, maybe Bible illiteracy. Um, now, all of those things, I think all of us would agree, are some legit challenges that we face as the church. But I think that one of the greatest challenges that we face as the church is radical individualism. Or as we've been talking about as we, in our walk through, Christi uh, through 1 Corinthians, Gnosticism. Gnosticism, if you don't know, 
is just basically a self-gospel. It's a gospel that's all about me. I love me some me, okay? It's a mirror gospel, okay? And, and what Gnosticism is, is it attempts to retain the fruits of Christianity and the comfort of faith while at the same time maximizing my own autonomy and my own authority, okay? So in the teaching of Gnosticism, we hear that we are commanders of our own destiny, that we only need to discover who we are and maximize the resources around ourselves. It's the opposite of to live as Christ, to die as gain, all right? It's the enemy of take up your cross and follow me, follow Jesus, let him be the authority and us in submission to him. Like, why would you even submit to God in the first place? I mean, look around at the world and the brokenness. If he's created this, and it doesn't seem like he's doing anything to fix it, why would you bow down to him? You know what? You should find something better to bow down to. And who better than you? All right? Who better than you? And here's the thing. The culture say, man, go find out who you are. You're a good person to bow down to. And I think most of us go like, man, I don't even know who I am. In fact, the more I discover about who I am, the more I don't like who I am. I don't even know I am, who I am. And the culture responds and says, hey, that's totally fine. Just take some time to find out. Distance yourself from relationships. Distance yourself from jobs. Distance yourself from anything that is an obligation to saying, hey, we expect this of you. You're like, no, no, no. If they're expecting something of you, distance yourself from them. Go get your VW van and hit up the West Coast, all right, and find you. Apparently, everybody is on the West Coast, and you just got to get there and find yourself. But when you come back to society after discovering who you are somewhere in northern Oregon, um, make sure that as you re-engage that you assert who you are, do not let anybody else tell you who you are. Do not let anybody else set boundary lines or fences on your life. You need freedom, you need autonomy, you decide. You, if you wanna do some Christian things, you wanna play around with that a little bit, Jesus seemed to be a good guy, do that, but uh, do not let anybody infringe on you. Now here, let me just, I'm saying this and it sounds like I'm joking, but the reality is every single person in this room, you are tempted into this belief. And if you say you're, you're not, then you are not a part of the humanity from Adam and Eve who are tempted to the same thing all the way till today. And you might be one of the rarest people in the whole world. Because the reality is people love themselves some self. And we do too. And it's a big temptation that's destroying us. And here's the thing. It's coming through your phone. Every single time you pick up your phone, that is the message that you're getting. Instagram just launched a new ad campaign that is, you go and uh, make the person you want to be. It's you find you. Right? Every time you watch TV, it's telling you that. Every time you listen to any political party, they're preaching the same thing. Your freedom is the top thing in your life. And that's anti-gospel. You're like, are you talking to the Republican Party? I don't give a care what the Republican Party thinks about what I think about them. But the reality is, if, they're not, if you're a Republican and not submitted to the Lordship of Christ, guess where you're not going? To be with Jesus. Because we are called to be submitted to the Lordship of Jesus. The biggest problem that we're facing is autonomy. Us trying to be our own person. 
and not submitting to the lordship of Jesus. So today, we're looking at spiritual gifts, and you're like, what does that have to do with that? Well, we're really launching into a two-part series in chapter 12. Next week, we're going to really be seeing how your personal autonomy and wanting to separate from obligations is going to affect you. But today, we're going to talk about the fact that the Spirit of God dwells within us, and that Spirit of God has not just dwells within us when we submit ourselves to Christ, He lavishly pours out gifts for us. Did you know that? Oh, I'm so excited, because if you don't, I'm going to talk to you about it this morning, okay? Come on, guys. You said you want to get slayed. Let's do this. It's a team effort. All right, so what we're going to do, we're going to start with a baseline definition of spiritual giftings. And our hope this morning, and my hope, is that we will see that God wants to use us and that church services are not about what they, how they serve you, but they're your opportunity to serve one another. So let's look at the baseline of spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are gifts of grace, granted by the Holy Spirit, which are designed for the edification of the church. Let me say it again, because this is going to dictate all that we talk about. Spiritual gifts are gifts of grace, granted by the Holy Spirit, which are designed for the edification or the building up of the church. Okay, so if I break that down into three parts, these are the three points for the message, all right, to help you people who love points. First, we're going to talk about the nature of spiritual gifts. What are they? Then we're going to talk about the purpose of spiritual gifts. What are they for? And lastly, we're going to talk about the source of spiritual gifts. Who's giving these to us? All right, where are they from? So let's talk about the nature of spiritual gifts. Go to, to verse 4 of chapter 12. Let's read this together. The nature of spiritual gifts, what are they? Verse 4. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but uh, it is the same God who imparts them all in everyone. To each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit, and to another, gifts of healing by, this, by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. You guys are like, ooh, it's going to get crazy. All right, so let's talk about the word, the Greek word for spiritual gifts. In, in verse 4, when Paul says gifts... It's this Greek word called charismata, charismata, all right? Uh, and so uh, what it, charismata, you can kind of hear, that's where we get the word, or like charismatic, okay, or charisma. And so you probably recognize that for that. So we talk about leaders, like that leader has charisma. I've been accused of having charisma. What's char charisma? It's just basically this idea, like displaying like this passion about something that just kind of invokes people to want to be a part of it, Okay. But also we use the word charismatic, all right? Oh, well, those people are charismatics, okay? And what we usually mean when we say that is like that church um, cares about the gifts, but more specifically what we call the sign gifts, right? That's what they would call them, and that's how we use it. But the way that Paul is using this right here, charismata, is not the same, okay? What he's doing, it's two words that Paul just decides to slap together. The first word is charis. Everybody say charis. Okay, everybody on that side. You guys keep waking up. Charis 
actually means grace. Domata means gift. So it's a grace gift. So we call them spiritual gifts. And yeah, we're not wrong. The Spirit gave them to us. But what he gave us was a grace gift. Okay? So we'll talk about what this means for us in the next section. But it's good for us to start with a clear picture of what Paul is actually trying to say. Now, let's skip down to verse 7 where Paul says this. To each has been given a manifestation of the Spirit. Okay, if you're looking for a memory verse in today's passage, I recommend this one. To each has been given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Great verse to memorize. Now, this verse teaches you about the eachness of spiritual giftings, of grace gifts. It means that every single person who believes in Christ has a grace gift. It's a result of the Spirit of God dwelling within you. Like, okay, if you haven't been here before, let me just tell you. Did you know that when you believe in Jesus, you receive salvation and justification, but as a seal of your salvation, it literally says, the Bible says this, that the Spirit of the living God dwells within you. 1 Corinthians 3.16, do you not know that you are God's temple, that God's Spirit dwells within you? Now, it doesn't say dwells in, in you who are pastors. It says you jokers, you sinners, in you, right? But also, Romans 8, 9, you, however, are not in the flesh, but are in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ doesn't belong to him, okay? But to belong to Jesus is to have the spirit. And to be saved, uh, uh, to believe is to be saved, to be saved is to have the spirit, and to have the spirit of God is to have a grace gift. Are you a believer in Jesus? Does the spirit dwell within you? that he has given you a grace gift, and that is awesome. Now, I want to talk, so we just talked about that. That's the eachness. Now, let's talk about the gifts. Y'all ready to dive into the gifts and what they mean? Okay, so we're going to look at the gifts that are in this passage specifically, but there are three other, four other passages that list off the gifts. I do not have time to talk to you about every spiritual gift in there, nor do I believe that the gifts listed in Scripture are exhaustive, Okay? Meaning, that's not all the gifts. All right? So let's dive in. Okay. First one that's mentioned in this passage is utterance of wisdom and knowledge. This is a spiritual gift. This guy can speak wisdom and speak knowledge. So this one, I would include uh, in what's more commonly referred to as the the grace gift of teaching. Okay? I believe that I have the gift of teaching. It's been affirmed by others, and that's the gift I have. And so that's why I'm up here trying to deploy that for you, okay? It's a unique ability uh, of communicating the word of God, expounding it and unpacking it, uh, its truth, and imparting it to others for knowledge and understanding. So hopefully, if I've got the gift, you leave here going, I understand that a little bit better. Thanks, Greg. Thanks, Lord, okay? So that's that. Now, faith. What's the gift of faith? I learned a lot about this this past week, uh, uh, looking at this gift. So we'll talk about this gift of grace, the faith gift, a little bit more in regards to salvation at the end of the message. But right here, what Paul is referring to, uh, the best description I could find is from a guy named Thomas Schreiner in his book, Spiritual Gifts. Great book. If you want to go do a deep dive, go read that book. Um, He says this, the gift of faith 
must refer to an extraordinary faith and vision for the future, okay? A faith that can, quote unquote, move mountains. This is something that many visionary type people have that helps them believe and impart the belief into other people. I've also been, when I read it this way, I've been accused of this. Like literally, Jake Williams told me the other day, he said, Greg, you just, one of your problems is that you really believe in people. And I was like, what? How's that a problem? Right? And if you spend some time around me, some of you guys know, I really believe in some of you far more than you believe in you. And I just can't help it. I don't know why. I just see you and I'm like, you could, you could change the world. And they're like, yeah, bro, back up. All right? Um, but that's what the gift of faith is. All right? Let's move on. Healings and miracles. Okay. This one, as you can imagine, is controversial in our church landscape. But it doesn't have to be. I'm going to read this so I could say what I need to say. Simply put, this is a grace gift that the Spirit imparts to some for the purpose of physical healing. Okay? A couple of notes to keep in mind. Number one, it refers to healing, uh, healing in the plural. Why does that matter? Because it says gifts of healing. And some people take that to mean that each time a person who has this gift heals, that was the gift. Meaning that it doesn't mean that a person who has a gift of healing can heal anybody at any time whenever they want. That's just not biblical. So I agree with that. Number two, some say that this gift, along with tongues, has ceased in the church. This, is, this position is called cessationism. Okay, Obviously, well I shouldn't say obviously, I don't agree with that. Now let me tell you. But I also don't agree with what people call, or what I would call, sensationalism. When we're making something of something that God doesn't even make of it. And we're just going wild with it. Okay? Unbiblically. I don't have a lot of time to dive into all of what that looks like. But no matter what, you need to understand uh, about miracles. Let me tell you the four things you need to know about miracles. Okay? Four things. If you want to write these down, these are great. They all start with E. Just trying to help you out here, okay? Just trying to be helpful. Number one, miracles are meant to be evidential. What does that mean? They are meant to be evidence, not of your gift of healing or a gift of miracles. It's meant to be evidence of the kingdom of God and God's goodness. And about you. Evidential. Number two, they're meant to be evangelistic. Okay? They are a sign to those who do not believe in Jesus going, now that, what is that? What is, do you have? Let me just tell you, you know what's a good sign? I say this all the time at Outpost. I would rather see a person wheelchair into heaven than walk themselves into hell. Okay? Miracles do not always mean that the dead are raised and the blind see. Sometimes it means that a marriage is resurrected. And praise be to God of that. That's a miracle. Okay? They're meant to be evangelistic. Number three, they're, they're meant to be uh, empathetic. Jesus showcases this, that a lot of times that he will heal because of his mercy and his love for us. And there's empathy in it. It's not just this cut and dry, all right, just to show that I'm awesome, heal. It's not what it's about. Jesus, sometimes we see that he even weeps over the brokenness and he heals. It's meant to be empathetic. And lastly, and this makes sense because it's the last one, it's meant to be eschatological. What that means is it's meant to be a sign of what's to come. 
Did you know there's coming a day where there'll be no more sickness and no more pain? And we will be with the Lord and the greatest miracle of all time that Jesus can actually save and redeem human beings will finally be accomplished. And we will dwell in the presence of God and there will be no more sickness and pain. Hallelujah, somebody. Healing and miracles. And here's the last thing you need to know about miracles. That was the four years. Here's the last thing. God does what he wants to do. It's not about the amount of faith that you have. God is the giver of this gift. Okay, number five. Distinguishing between spirits. In other words, discernment. This is a spiritual gift of discernment, as some people call it. This grace gift from the spirit is the unique ability to discern between what is true and what is false. Those who have this gift of discernment know the scriptures well, typically, and thus are particularly uh, equipped to test the spirits to see if they are from God. 1 John 4, 1. Paul displays this in Acts chapter 16. Uh, in Acts chapter 16, there's a young slave girl who can actually predict the future. It says, uh, said that she had a spirit by which she predicted the future. This is what it says in Acts 16. And she was following Paul and all of his companions. And she, it says this, that she was crying out, these men who proclaim to you the way of salvation are the servants of the Most High God. She was following him and screaming that out. Okay? Now, we might think that Paul would be like, Awesome. That's some great advertising right there. But Paul was able to discern that what was going on inside of her was an evil spirit, not a spirit of truth. And so he actually cast a demon out of this girl. And she's clothed in her right mind. And then she ends up following Jesus, which is amazing. That's the gift of discernment. Okay, that's, a, that's an example of the gift of discernment. But it's the ability to distinguish between his right and truth. Next, tongues and the interpretation. I'm going, to be, I'm going to speak really simply and directly about speaking in tongues because we're going to be going into a deeper dive in chapter 14. First, what is it? Okay? Speaking in tongues is a grace gift of speaking in a known language that either is understood by the hearer or interpreted by another into the language of the hearers. Okay? Like all the other gifts, it is meant to serve the body, not the individual. It's not a private thing that you do in your closet. We do not see that. Now, Paul does say it can be a personal benefit, but he never makes that a focus whatsoever. Second, what is speaking in tongues not? It is not ecstatic language with no meaning. We'll dive into that in chapter 14. But the reality is Paul makes it abundantly clear that it has no purpose if nobody can understand it. Even for you, for me to get up here and teach you in Spanish would be absolutely meaningless if none of you spoke Spanish. Wouldn't it? Do you want to see me sit up here and speak Spanish for 45 minutes? You don't even want to see me speak English for 45 minutes. That's not what it is. So the reason that, but listen. The reason that Paul brings this gift up in chapters 12 through 14 is because the Corinthian church had a fascination with speaking in tongues. And as we'll talk about in our next point, they elevated speaking in tongues, seeing as whoever had it had the special favor of God. And that's a problem because they don't. Okay, we'll dive into that here in a little bit. Now, those are the gifts. I've explained them to you. 
speaking in tongues, I'll say one final word. It's the ability for me to speak in a language that for somebody else, they get to hear the gospel in their own language, get to hear truth in their own language. They're edified in their own language, okay? God does what we see in Acts chapter 2, and he does it in a way. I'm not even going to go into it. You know what? That'll be a couple weeks. I got tempted to go there. I'm not going there now. All right, let's keep moving. All right. These are the gifts mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12, but there are also other places. So if you want to write down some options, go read. Ephesians chapter 4, we see that God gifts the church individuals who are gifted in certain ways. Romans chapter 12, we see some. 1 Corinthians 12, 28, which we'll talk about next week. And some of the other gifts are this. Helping in service, administration and leadership. I love that administration's in there. Praise the Lord. Exhortation, giving, mercy, evangelism, and apostleship. These are all gifts that God gives to his church. Here's the thing. If you're a believer in this room, you've got one. You've got one. You have been gifted by God, and that's amazing. You know, a beautiful picture of this is we're putting together right now something called the care team. And so this past couple of weeks, we really just sat down and we talked about what would it look like to put together a team of people who can uh, care and meet the needs of people who are in need, in crisis, or who just need discipleship, or whatever the case may be. And so we, we're looking for somebody who is gifted uh, in a certain way that can help us develop foster care families in the family of Outpost and respite homes in the family of Outpost so that we can care for those who are being removed from their home. And they could come into not just a home, but a community of believers who are going to love and care for them. We also were trying to find a leader who is gifted in, fi- in finances and understands administration and how to do that. Who could not just like be a part of people getting money, but a part of people getting training and how to build a budget. Financial advice for families who never were taught that. We're also looking for leaders who can work on this team who are gifted in mercy, who are going to be there to meet needs when people's houses burn down, when their porches cave in, when their roof is leaking, when their family dies, all right, and they're there to say, we are here to be for you and to show the mercy and the goodness of God. We're also looking for a piece of this team, a representative from this body to be on this team who is a part of bringing biblical counsel. Because look, we're not, in the, we're not in the job of just packing backpacks and giving to kids to feel good about ourselves, okay? I don't give a care, okay, about just packing backpacks to give to kids just to give to kids. Like I want them to know Jesus, not just have warm feet. But if get, helping them have warm feet gives me a chance to tell them about Jesus, let's give them, let's give them a lot of socks, but let's tell them about Jesus. And so pastoral care and leadership, that shows up in re- our regeneration ministry, which is we have a pilot group right now going through. It's one-year discipleship track that helps people in hurts, habits, and hang-ups. Man, we've got the addicted, the beat-up, the broken, those who've come from all kinds of vulnerabilities, people like me who are running together and learning how to love Jesus. Okay? It's not a place where we fix your problems. It's a place where we introduce you to the one who fixes your problems. Jesus. Praise God for that. It's re-engage as a part of this team where we help you with your marriages. Anybody here ever have a marriage problem that's married right now? This guy, 11 years of marriage problems, okay? Going into my 12th, all right? Um, But it's a place where marriages can get 16 weeks of discipleship where you draw a circle around yourself. We lie to you, okay? We say, hey, come work on your marriage. As soon as you get there, we say, sweet, so glad you're here. Draw a circle around yourself, fix everybody inside. We're like, well, no, no, she's got the problems. We're like, no, 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 stop pointing at here. We're pointing at you, bro. It's your problems we're going to deal with. We'll deal with her, but you get back in your circle. Anyways, I'm getting sidetracked. 
And lastly, we want to have an individual who can help with job connection, who knows we've got a lot of business owners in this body and in the body of Christ and Cody, and say we want to know uh, these godly men and women who have jobs and say, hey, we want to create a space where people can come and get a job. Do you see this? This is a beautiful way of showing what the church is supposed to be like, right? A place where if you come, we're going to care for you. We're going to meet your needs. We're going to train you. We're going to disciple you. But we're going to, man, by God's grace, we're going to help you fall in love with a God who saves, who gives lavish gifts. That's a beautiful, beautiful picture of the body of Christ. Man, so pumped. All right. Here's the question that all of you guys are asking. The question you're asking is, how do I know what gift I have? Anybody have that question? How do I know what I got? How do I find out my gifting? When I was in college um, and in high school, uh, I took a spiritual gifts test. Anybody ever take a spiritual gifts test? Um, I sat in my dorm room in uh, my shorts and shirtless, and I just took this test. And you know what? The only thing I remember from the spiritual gifts test is that I had the spiritual gift of poverty. Um, that was one of my gifts. And I was like, I'm in college. We all do, you know? Uh, so... Fortunately, the church has been moving away from these online um, spiritual gifts assessments and moving to what is actually a more boots on the ground, very real um, way of discovering what your gift is. Do you know that the way that you discover your gift is by serving? Because here's the thing you know about gifts, and we're about to transition to. Gifts are meant to be used to serve others, not yourself. How can you discover what your gifts are if you, from the comfort of your own room? If you want to know what your gifts are, go serve. Go serve. Jump in. Be a part. And in no time, we will be able to see in you, and you'll be able to see in yourself ways that you are blessedly gifted by God to serve others. So if gifts are meant to be serving for others, the way we discover them, is, discover them is to serve others, and then we find out. So at Outpost, it's an expectation. If you want to be a member of Outpost Community Church, we expect you to serve somewhere at least once a month in our Sunday morning uh, activities and weekly things, at least one place. And it's an expectation that if you're like, man, that really bums me out. We're like, hey, well, we come to you expecting you because Scripture says it. And I tell you what, it's a blessing. It's an absolute blessing. So get involved, serve. If you want to know what it is, jump in. Don't come to me saying, I hate children. Jesus loved children. Don't come to me saying, I hate welcoming people. Don't come to me like, you know what, I'd love to serve. How about I'll park my own car in the parking lot and I'll make sure it's between the lines, bro. And that'll be my service. Spiritual gifts are spirit-empowered grace gifts, ministries and activities that are for a purpose. Let's talk about the purpose of spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, 7, go back to that. It says this, to each has been given a manifestation of the Spirit for the what? Say it again, for the what? For the common good. Go down to verse 11. Verse 11 says this, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So, these are meant for the common good and for the will of God. Or another way to say it, for the glory of God. If you go to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, it says this. And he gave to the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. 
So from what we see in Scripture, we can see that the spiritual gifts are meant to be used, okay? They're meant to be used for the common good and the building up of the body of Jesus. So let's talk about the proper use of these gifts, okay? Let me remind you. So if you're saved, if you have the Spirit, then if you have a spirit, uh, uh, a spiritual gift, then that gift is meant to be used to serve others in the church for the common good. So Romans 12 Verse 4, listen to this. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not, do not all have the same function. Not only is there an eachness, but there's a diversity. Thank goodness. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. And then it says this, let us use them. So, if you want to know, What's the proper use of your gifting? The proper use of your gifting is it's in service to others, it's to build them up, and you just gotta use it. It's really that simple. Find out what you've got, you find out what you've got by serving, and deploy it. Now, I wanna spend a lot more time in talking about improper use. Let's talk about improper use of spiritual giftings. Number one, improper use for spiritual gifting is when you use it for self-glory, okay? This is the worship leader who is gifted right, by the Lord to lead us, but man, they make it about themselves. This is the pastor who's more proud of his own gifting than he is edifying the body, and it's about him. When people say, man, what a great message, good job, he goes, yep, I'm pretty awesome. Our spiritual gifts are not to glorify you, they're meant to glorify God through others, okay? It's not about self-glory, it's meant for others. Number two, this is a huge problem, it's a problem for Corinth. When we overvalue one gift over another, this is dangerous. This is dangerous. Romans 12, verse 3, right before uh, Paul launched into what I just read a minute ago, he says, For the, by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with a sober judgment. We should never think that one gift is greater than another. Because when you start to think that one gift is greater than another, you begin to think that some gifted people are better than others. And that's exactly what happened in the Corinthian church. And we do, when we do this, it leads to division and dysfunction. Okay? They began to see the speaking in spiritual uh, uh, in, in, uh, tongues made you more valuable than other people. You are a more valuable Christian. Here's how you guys do this. You're like, by call, sometimes you do this by just calling me pastor. Well, I need the pastor to pray over me or a pastor to baptize me or the pastor to do this. And I'm just telling you, I'm just one sinner saved by grace next to a pile of other sinners saved by grace. And we've created this division in the church between where you're sitting and where I'm standing when at Outpost we've said pretty often, we're trying to put the church back in your hands. You are ministers of God's grace. And your giftings are so valuable that if you don't use them, it's to all of our downfall. It's not just about Greg using his giftings. But I better use mine and you better use yours. The next danger we have is a narrow use of our giftings. What do I mean by narrow use? Narrow use is I'm only gonna do what I'm gifted at. Let me show this to you. My brother uh, Carson is a gifted in evangelism. I, I believe that. I would say I'm not a gifted evangelist. Should I still share the gospel with others? Hopefully it's a resounding yes. You should. And I think what we'll do is, look, well, I'm just not gifted in evangelism, so I'm not. I'm not gifted in teaching, so I'm not going to tell anybody. 
I'm not really gifted in service, so I'm not going to serve. I'm not really gifted in mercy. That stuff makes me feel weird. So I'm not going to be merciful. Let me tell you right now, just because you're not gifted does not mean that you don't still serve in all of these ways. Just some of us are uniquely gifted by God. And praise God that they are. Okay? Stop having a narrow use. And lastly, and this is the worst of all, do you know what it is? It's just that you don't use them at all. You just waste your gift. How many men I've met who are in their 50s and 60s have no clue what their spiritual gift is. And they say they've been following Jesus for 30 years. I am astounded and ashamed. Because we as a church failed them. The worst you could do is to not use them. High school students, if you've accepted Jesus, middle school students, if you've accepted Jesus, you got a gift and this whole body will be better when you use them. If you are in the um, seasoned years and you go, well, I've been there, I've done that, I don't get around as quick, you have such gifts and treasures that are still going to edify and build up and strengthen and empower the body of Jesus. They're going to empower the body of Jesus. I, I didn't write this down, but I remember uh, I heard a message by John Piper called Don't Waste Your Life. And he talks about in this message, he taught it around 2001, 2000 to 40,000 college students. And in this message, he talks about uh, there was this Reader's Digest article that was talking about, you know, retire early, okay? You want to retire early. So it shows this family, this couple who were 55 years old and they retired and they were living in uh, Palm Springs down in Florida and they had their 17-foot boat and they were spending time playing shuffleboard and collecting seashells on the beach. And they're saying, now this is living. And I say, and I agree with John Piper, atrocious life. What an atrocious life. And then Piper goes to explaining a funeral he did for two 80-year-old women who were nurses who decided to spend their last years in Africa serving as nurses. And one day as they were coming around a bend on a mountain, their brake line goes out and their car flies off the cliff and explodes and kills both of them. And he says, now that is really living. I'm telling you, older folks, we need you more than you can imagine. And you are valued here at Outpost. Deploy your giftings. Deploy them. Young people, deploy them. Each of these is common. And now here's what I want to tell you guys. Guys, there's grace. There is so much grace if one of these applies to you. So much grace if one of these applies to you. If you repent... Confess your sin and get to work. Man, so much. Now, here's the thing. Even if you don't, God's grace is still there, isn't it? Praise God. But may his grace motivate you. So what if I still don't know what my gifting is? Well, we already talked about it. Get to work. You'll find it out. Where should I deploy my gifting if I want to deploy it here at Alpha's Community Church? A great way is to send us an email or just go ask somebody, all right? We used to say something when I worked for a Christian camp. If you see a need, fill a need even if it makes you feel uncomfortable, all right? I tell you what, kids can make you feel uncomfortable, but man, Jesus loved the kids, and he pushed Peter's face out of the way and said, get that kid up here closer to me. 1 Peter 4.10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. This is a family, and we are all have family chores, and that's all right. 
If everyone uses their grace gift in, as good stewards of God's very grace, there will be life and flourishing in the body of Jesus. People will grow in knowledge and wisdom. Faith will be increased. People will come to know Jesus. Sin will be defeated. Lies will be healed. And God will ultimately be glorified. Do you guys want that? Okay, then you need a person to decide to go for that. I can't decide for you. I just preach. Uh, but if we don't do that, all we're going to have is division on top of division. Lives will continue to be unchanged and unchallenged. People will turn away from Christ to the world's advertisements for life, which are just death. And hopelessness will wreak havoc on our marriages and our teenagers who are killing themselves and in everyone. Healing from hurts, habits, and hangups will never come to fruition. And worst of all, God, the God of wonderful grace, will be dishonored by his people. Hey, as me and my house... We'll serve the Lord. You make your decision. But, Mark 10, 45, let me tell you. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. I, I'm amazed that we have to convince people to serve when they say they believe in a Jesus who was screaming out when his hands were nailed to a piece of wood for them. Like, are you crazy? How long do you have to be in church and listen to messages before you have to be convinced to live like Jesus? Man, I hope the Spirit of God slays you in this particular spot. How selfish we are. Which this leads us to our next point. And I'm losing my mind. Here we go. Let's go. It says this. You need to understand who is the source of these giftings. The source of the giftings is God. Okay? is God, and the fact that it's a gift means that it was given, which means that you didn't do anything to get them. We live in a culture where we say we give gifts, but they're always given at points of achievement. You graduated from high school, so we give you a gift, right? You got married, you achieved marriage, I guess, so we gave you a gift. You retired, so we give you a gift. All of our gifts seem to happen at times when it's around achievement, so let me talk to you about the challenge when it comes to understanding the source of our gift. The greatest challenge I talked about at the very beginning, it's radical individualism and achievement culture. This is such a destructive and distracting thing for us. Individualism will distract and disunify the body, and which we'll dive deeper into next week. But, in, but the general idea is simple. If we begin to believe that services at a church are ultimately about us, then we'll begin to assess every activity and ministry through the lens of how it serves us. And when you begin to do that, you begin to do what every distracted believer does. You start to complain. It's a bit cold in here. Do they realize how echoey this building is? You realize how loud the worship is in the front row? I'm never coming back here. Greg jokes too much in his sermons. That drives me crazy. He goes long all the time. And then what you do is you do one of, I think, the most atrocious sins in Cody, Wyoming. You gossip. Man, they're just this way, or they're that way. They don't, their service time's a little too late to ruin my day, whatever the case may be. You start to gossip. May God convict you. We begin to ignore the invitations to serve. People will say, hey, we've got opportunity. But because your perspective is it's about you and not about how you can build the kingdom of God and glorify God through serving others, deploying the gifts that he gave you, you begin to ignore these invitations. You go, you know, I never got that email. Never got that email. It's like, should I have to email you? C or three. We, uh, I just said that one. 
Four, we stall on serving while we wait for desirable service areas. You know, I just don't see any place that really fits me. Mm, I do. It's another church in some other place. That's what's going to fit you. So this is the last one is that people leave. People leave. And here's what I want to tell you. Here's what I want to tell you. If serving and being a part of the body of Christ, which is an expectation of Scripture, not Greg, if you're like, man, I just don't like that expectation you want to leave. I want to tell you something. Here's my invite. I invite you to go somewhere else. If serving and being part of the body of Christ, whether it's you're a member or not, if that's a problem for you, I invite you to go somewhere else. Your presence does not like, affirm me in any, any way. And in fact, it might be better for us if that mindset would leave here. Because what those who are killing themselves in our community need most of all is a group of people who say they follow Jesus, living like Jesus, laying their lives down for others radically. That's what they need. But instead, we're like the Pharisee or we're like the, the religious leader and the Levite who see the man beaten half naked on the side of the road and go, I just don't have time for that. While the good Samaritan, the good Californian, who you critique, gets off of and gets down there and shows mercy and deploys his giftings and rescues somebody's life. So I invite you to go somewhere else. I love you. It might be the best thing for you. Okay. I want to root this finally at the very end in the foundation. And I want to root it in the grace of God. Because I don't want to guilt you and I'm not trying to manipulate you. I want God's goodness and grace to be the thing that motivates you. So let's go to chapter 12, verse 3. Chapter 12, verse 3. And I want you to understand this. Let me read verses 1 and 2 so you see the context. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. I want you to understand this. You should be able to understand it. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. These things, they robbed you alive. They didn't give you anything. They were a waste of your time. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is the Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Let me read that to you again. No one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. When I'm talking to somebody about how to come to know Jesus and be a believer in Jesus, I take them to Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. Anybody know what that says? It says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And what did this just say? No one can say that unless the Spirit of God helps them. Friends, we didn't achieve our salvation. We needed help even making the decision. In fact, if you say that you deserve to be in this room, I had a cop tell me one time, I don't know if I want to go to church because there's some people in there that I've arrested. And he was saying, they don't deserve to be there. And I said to him, brother, where else would you want them to be than in a place where they're loved 
and they're showing the grace of God, and God transforms them. Friends, we can't even say Jesus is Lord unless God helps us. We can't, come, we can't be saved unless God helps us. We cannot use our spiritual giftings unless God gave us a gift. And then we can't use them unless he helps us deploy those giftings. Guys, we are utterly dependent on the God of grace. Are we not? But praise be to God that he has not abandoned us. Let me explain something to you. If God separated himself entirely from this cosmos and didn't help you come to Christ and you're about your free will, let me tell you, if he removed himself entirely, there was no word of God, no one to disciple you, nobody to show you the way, nothing at all. You know what that is? That's a literal description of hell. It's a place where God and his presence and his goodness and his mercy and everything doesn't exist. And he's not there. And I'm telling you, it's a place that you will not find God. I don't care how much free will you have. So praise be to God who finds us and helps us find him. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you so much for rescuing and redeeming a sinner like me. A man who's addicted and broken and beat down and had ha hurts, habits, and hangups that were destroying me and destroying others. I was abusing and manipulating others for my own gain. And you, in one radical act of giving of self, paid for every single one of my sins and every single one of the sins of my friends in this room. We worship you and we praise you. You are good. And I pray that we as a group of people will not just live that way because we were told to, but because we desire to in light of the rich love that you've extended to us. Spirit of God, work in me and in this people in this room to will and to work for your good pleasure. And uh, I pray that mercy will be shown to people who need mercy. I pray leaders will lead with zeal and godliness. I pray those who can speak in languages would declare the glory of God in other languages. I pray those who are gifted financially and in worship and in care and administration, that they would deploy those and that every single one of us would get better and better and more like you, Jesus, for your glory. And may we be strong. All praise be to you, Jesus, maker of heaven and earth.